Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Three o'clock hours here. Adam, did you bet the first game of the day? I didn't. Why? Uh, Don't you bet every game? A lot of them. I usually try to bet in-game, but uh, I actually was hoping Texas Southern would lead so I could bet uh, Mount St. Mary's, and Mount St. Mary's just kind of pulled away, so... Never really worked out for me. Mount St. Mary's 30-20 to 20 at the half. We're 21 minutes away from the tip of Wichita and Drake. The Drake with Darian DeVries. UNLV candidate? No, he just signed an eight-year extension. Uh, Drake is minus two against Wichita State. My Lord. My Lord. Chris Matthews is here with us. Eight news now. Chris, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. Another UNLV coaching search. You know, it made me laugh because this is what you said right there. Uh, UNLV candidate? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a candidate, right? It's so oh, funny. Yeah. Oh yeah, we. Uh, I was I was cataloging all the names that have been mentioned to me on social media and on our podcast and on air. And yesterday, I got up to fifty-eight. I think I could probably get up to seventy-five if I look around enough. Um, it, it, it 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 is amazing, though. And Chris, you've been here since when? What what year did you first arrive? Ninety-seven. I got here. Okay, yeah. so you and I were here about the same time. I got here in ninety-six. So we've been through this so many times. And I guess in a way, like. I we knew that Otzerberger could be a guy who moves on and Iowa State could be the job, but it's still kind of stunning that you're back out there looking for a coach two years after doing so. And it's what seems odd too is how the uh, the dominoes have fallen for just except for Menzies. When you look at Beard, um, he'd have probably been here three, four, who knows how many years if it hadn't been the perfect situation for him to leave to go to Texas uh, Tech there. Um, and then now this situation does does Otzelberger leave if it's you know, if it's some other school, I don't know. It's it, it's interesting. I'd be interested to, to to talk to him about that because I think he was probably torn. I mean, two years. What can you really do? A COVID year. Really had one year that he actually could kind of field a team and coach a team and and try to have some success. Because what they go, they had thirty three days of, of just sitting around with you no know, with COVID, so they couldn't play. And this COVID year, you almost have to throw out. But you're right, though. It is odd. Two years. But I was just just listening right before you called to the athletic director. He has a uh, a thing up on YouTube. Why Otzelberger? Why did we hire him? And he talked about just how uh, how tough it was for uh, Otzelberger to make the decision. He made it this morning after we was offered it last night. So I guess he had a night to think about it. But uh, he talked about thanking AD and you know. And last night, according to this AD, this uh, this Jamie Pollard. Uh, Thank Desiree, and I guess Desiree made this extension offer late last night. Still couldn't keep him here, and, and he's off. But he talked about how great he he was a recruiter at Iowa State, nice assistant coach for eight years. But uh, this AD said that, that what really just got him here was his integrity, the culture. He knows the Midwest, and and basically that recruiting. So, um, you know what? It is what it is. Boy, I'm going to bring up a weird one, but I've been you know I've been thinking about it. Um, clearly, there's got to be some buyer's remorse, and I'm talking about you know the fans who bought in on Otzelberger, when you look back at the Otzelberger hire, do we revise history and go, why did Marvin Menzies get fired after three years? Yeah, I, I think that was just a total personality deal. Yeah. You uh, you know, it's, it's Marvin Menzies, and he was Mr. Vegas, and this didn't really – I just don't think that, that he meshed with the AD, um, and I think that's why he's gone. But uh, – Hey, you know, you mentioned that list. I want to throw out a, I want to throw out a name because I'm going to beat go. the drum on this one right here. Do it. And she might even be on your list, but I'm going to beat the drum for Becky Hammond. <laughs> yes. 
She is on the list. She is on the list. So yeah, make the case. Make make the case for a female coach to break the barrier and take over the UNLV program. Here's the thing. I think she's way qualified. She's a great coach. If she can demand the respect of, and and right now those who don't know, she's an assistant at at San Antonio with Popovich. But if she can demand the uh, the respect of NBA guys, she can certainly do it on this level. You know, she knows the X. Knows she can coach. Um, And how great would that be to be the school? That breaks down that barrier. Gender equity, UNLV, you, you know, they scream that over there. Well, let, you know, let's see it. Let's see it. Because right now, I would say Becky Hammond is probably as good a coach as T.J. Otzelberger or Marvin Menzies. When you just talk about X and O's and coaching and getting, getting the most out of players, I would put her right up there. I don't think you would make a mistake by hiring Becky Hammond. I would, I would have the same problem with her that I'd have with other NBA assistants who haven't coached in college. That's I mean that's that's the one drawback. She has no head coaching experience. That's that that is the single drawback. But then you look at some of those other names like Steve has on his list. Um, like Kevin Kruger, uh, you know, get some good assistance around him. He's he, he's a fiery guy that uh, on on the court when he has to coach. Um, does he demand respect? Does he get the most out of his players like his dad? That's a good question. I mean, do you have to go out and get a guy that that has a head coaching experience? Probably, maybe not. I don't know. A, not, a guy or a gal like no, that. Not, not necessarily head coaching experience, just coaching experience in college, like understanding recruiting and understanding, you know, working with athletic departments and fundraising and all those things. Like, that's the stuff you have to understand. And I just think somebody who hasn't had any college experience, as much as I think Becky Hammond will be a head coach, most likely in the NBA, not college, like, those are the things you have to understand before you take over a program. And you learn those as an assistant, you don't learn those as an assistant in the NBA. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, I still think she would. I, would, I still think she'd be a terrific coach here. I mean, you talk about she knows the area, knows the West, knows the Mountain West, knows the athletes. Um, has, I, you know, the recruiting thing. She's been through all that before. You bring on a couple of assistants that have done some stuff in the past, and I think she could. I, I think she would be successful. The sad thing is, and I was talking with another guy. The sad thing is, is that it's become to like, well, you know what? Take a chance. We're this once proud university in basketball, you wouldn't be this. Well, you know what? Take a chance. Risk it. It wouldn't be that way, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. It shouldn't have never been that way, but it is. Chris, uh, Steve and I are media elites. We are, uh, you know, we sit here in our in our radio booth and don't talk to people. You are a man of the people. You're, you're out there. You, you know, folks. How far are the people of Las Vegas away from being back in love with this program? Yeah, you know what? That's a good question because we were just talking about that the other day. I think the worst word you can use now in this city, and I think it's there, is apathy. I don't know if anybody even cares. There used to be a, a there used to be a word that you'd say like there was a passion, whether they hated the program, hated the coach, or loved the coach, or hated the players, loved the players. There was a passion that either way you sat on either side of the fence. But now, unfortunately and sadly, I think there's just in this city an apathy for the basketball program. That people like, man, eh, you know what? Like, I don't even think, like, does anybody really go nuts? Hey, well, here's a good question. Steve, when you first got here and they were hiring Spoon Owl or, you know, Baino was getting fired and they're hiring Spoon, then they go to Lauren Kruger. That was a big, big deal. Everybody kind of wanted to know who they're going to get. Who's the next coach? Let's get this guy. Let's get that guy. It was just, it was a big, big deal. But right now, out on the street, the people I'm talking to, ah, whatever. It's, and I don't know if it's because, and, well, I do know it's, it's because of the uh, challenges that they have now with, with the pro sports that have come into town, 
that there's that some of the people's interest is waning. Even when Marvin Menzies was there, you remember how how those crowds were just pathetic. At uh, one time, I can't remember the exact number, but I counted from uh, from behind one basket, and I was I was on the uh, the west side. I counted from one basket standard all the way across to the other basket standard, and I want to say there were 783 or something like that fans in the entire one side of the Thomas and Mac. It just got to the point where nobody cared anymore. And the apathy is a bad. That's a that's a scary word if you're an athletic director here at UNLV, where people don't care about your program. So do you need to, do you need to go out and make a big splash and try to get some more money? He, already, he was already the highest paid guy, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean he was. Uh, you know, he started at one one. He was going to get to one five. So they were certainly competitive from a, a salary standpoint. You talk about the attendance. I really feel like they have to get a coach who gets it that a big part of the job is re-energizing the market and I, i'm not saying you know stand out on the corner you know with a bullhorn and say come to the games but you, you got to have someone who is into doing interviews promoting the program and and um i don't know i don't know that Otz or marvin got that element i think they just assumed hey it's a big brand of course people are going to show up well now we've got major league sports it's changed yeah. here this, this you got to get people back in the arena that's part of your job that's so true we you know we talk about it all the time that people aren't just going to show up anymore there's too many things not only do we have the pro sports, but you have the you know the bingo and the uh, the uh, poker machines, all those things that other cities don't have to worry about. You now have here in addition to the pro sports, so you got to be the guy that's out there. You know, I don't I, always, I, I hate to always go back to Long Kruger, but he was kind of like the, the the example of all this stuff. He's out doing the coaches versus cancer. He's out over at the uh, the women's shelter with his wife doing promotions and always out in the community because he cared about the city. And he cared deeply about the basketball program. Um, you heard the stories of Marvin Menzies going to these different shows and demanding tickets for six and eight, not just he and his wife. And he was Mr. Vegas. You can't be that. It's, it's totally different now. You, you're not the Jerry Tarkanian where everybody's comping you and you're the king rolling down the strip. You've got to go out and win some games. I don't think, and I think, it's, I think Vegas has changed that way where you've got to be the guy that goes out there. Like you were saying, uh, Steve, go out there and – be on the corner and saying, hey, come to our games. What can I do? Be at this charity thing. Go to that charity thing. Be at the, uh, the uh, Golden Knights game and do the horn and go to the, go to the football game. Do something with Mark Davis. Do something with John Groot. Be out there and get your name out there and get known. Chris Matthews, 8 News Now. He's a sports guy. He's, uh, he's been here since 97, so he's seen it all around Las Vegas. What do you think of the paper putting out an initial uh, candidate list, and including Rick Pitino and Steve Lavin? <laughs> Yeah, let me give you a quick uh, Rick Pitino story. I was listening to uh, Richard Pitino, who was hired at New Mexico less than 24 hours after he was fired from Minnesota. Yep, yep. And one of the last couple questions, well, one of the questions, were you going to wear that red jacket on the sideline? Yes, I am. But then, he, then someone else asked him a question, and he said that his dad, Rick, called him and said, son, let's get together on a neutral site in Vegas and play a game. Then the next question was, well, um, doesn't he want to come and play at the pit? And Richard says, no. <laughs> I mean, that, that, the pit is a, is a legit place to play. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, aren't are we dare to dream, but aren't we wasting our time as well? If, uh, if DRF has full control of the hiring, we, we know what she's looking for in coaches. And Rick Pitino and – I like Steve Lavin, but there there are just so many candidates out there who are connected to some negativity or a lot of negativity, like Patino. I just she's not going to consider them. And you know what? Here's the sad thing too. Really, 
like you're right, they're connected to some sort of negativity. But after a couple of years, you're winning games. Does anybody even recall that or even care about that anymore? Nope. Our, our thing, our country has just moved on to those little these 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 issues that yes. that may or may not have happened that were a big deal that they they they've changed. I mean, look at Jerry Tarkanian. How many opportunities did he give athletes that had a bad uh, had a bad couple of years or a bad year or a bad summer, made some bad decisions, and and they won games. And who cares about that? Yeah, we are we are the city of second chances. Hell, I used to do a show with Dave Koken. Uh, Koken and I both had to escape, uh, you know, Providence and New Jersey, respectively. A lot of bad times back there. I was I was on the run, Chris. I was on the run. I don't want to get into the details. This is a second chance city, but uh, yeah, Desiree's not down with that. No, it'll it'll be a young it'll be a young coach. It'll be like a Marcus Arroyo guy. I, here's here's who I do like. I think he was like up high on your list. I like Tim Miles. Yep, I like Tim I like Miles. Tim Miles I think he, a lot. Yep, I think he would get it. He'd be a rah rah guy. I think he's a good X's and O's guy. I think eventually he could get higher level recruits. Uh, he's another dude. I think he put a fence around Vegas, and he certainly can coach. We we know X's and O's, man. He's a really good coach. Yeah, I mean, you look at the uh, look at his little. It's not like he's some old guy that has this big coaching tree, but a few of these small little limbs that have branched off of. Of him are pretty are, are pretty talented. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a guy who worked in the past with Craig Smith and Nico Medved, who've turned into freaking monsters in the conference. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, what do you what do you guys have planned? Yeah, I think it's actually interesting to ask all the TV people. I saw someone griping at you guys collectively, like you're not covering UNLV like you used to. Like, how much are you going to cover this when we've got the Raiders uh, with free agency and we've got the the Knights are humming along? Like, is there real, is there really time to give UNLV what you used to give them? Not now. I mean, it, it, that's the thing. Not anymore. When you got all these other pro sports, you'd have to almost ask yourself and anybody who's out there right now. If you, if I ask them this question, do I go talk to Derek Carr, Mark Andre Fleury, or or uh, uh, who? Just pick a just pick a name. Uh, Nick Blake. I mean, who are we going to go talk to? It's just UNLV's become the fourth option, maybe. Hard, harsh reality, but that's the case. Chris, yeah. appreciate it. Thank you for the time on short notice. Hey, thank you very much, guys. I liked your list. Let's see if you can get up to 75. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> there he is, Chris Matthews. I like that he keeps calling it my list. Uh, that's just every name I've heard a listener say, right, it's not, it's not my list. It's not like my wish list. Right. And it was not in any order. Because there were actually there were guys on the very bottom of the fifty-eight where I was like, man, you know what? I actually like that. I think Tim Miles might have been. I don't know if he was at the top of the list. It was in no particular order. I mean, we're just collecting names. That's, just, all, that's all we're doing. Just right every now. person who's mentioned, yeah. and I've fallen back, fallen behind like a day and a half now. So I got to update that thing. All right, coming up, we're going to get uh, back into the NFL. Uh, lots of draft talk today. We've got a spot. Uh, we're going to catch up with a dude who covers the Saints because we're counting down the draft. Saints are up at twenty-eight, and then we're going to go to a position. And I really, today, where do we go? Where do we go? I want to talk about, I want to talk about wide receivers. I want to talk about wide receivers because, you know, the, the Raiders signed John Brown. I still think the, the Raiders have a need at receiver. And, yeah, they, they drafted a couple of them last year who stayed around. Uh, but let's get a preview of the receivers with Austin Gale from uh, Pro Football Focus in about 12 minutes. With 77 cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Cofield and Company is live at the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Texas Southern storms back after being down 10 at the half, first game of the NCAA tournament. It's now 31 30, Texas Southern on top of 
Mount St. Mary's with about 14 minutes left in the game. I know someone at the set here may have been pining to uh, bet Mount St. Mary's in the beginning of the half actually helped their cause. That's I, the I don't want to jinx it and say who bet Mount St. Mary's back said, in play. I already said on the air I was waiting for the opportunity to bet Mount St. Mary's. Yeah, so. Well, I, I know you. sometimes you don't like to talk about your bets because you believe in the jinx. And it, as soon as you said it, they missed a free throw. So. <laughs> These guys are unbelievable <laughs> from the line, Clank. <laughs> yes, not only can the announcers on the game affect what happens, but just random sports talk hosts. We can deliver bad karma. We had three of them, so he was bound to miss one, I guess. So what do you think so far of the NCAA tournament and the way they've handled the testing? Um, I was going to say, what if, it's been a half. It's been a good half. I don't know. <laughs> but the, the testing, for the most part, when you look at the overall numbers, they've had eight positive tests. The thing is, within the eight and just before the tournament, there's been some big players who are now in jeopardy of at least not playing at the beginning of the tournament. Yeah, and, and teams that are in doubt, like you know, Virginia still hasn't got to Indianapolis yet. And, you know, we were supposed to have that figured out of, like, hey, if as long as you're you're still available Tuesday at 3 o'clock, like, you're going forward, and those are going to be the teams in the tournament, uh, now all of a sudden you've got teams that aren't even there yet, haven't practiced yet. Virginia hasn't been able to practice together as a team yet, and they're still, you know, not in the bubble. So, um, yeah, like, there's there's some definitely some, you know, some guys missing that you're looking around, and, you know, Virginia has an issue, Kansas has an issue, Georgia Tech has a massive issue. Uh, that you have to you have to get through, but you know for the most part, I think teams are looking at it and saying, "Hey, we're there." Once you're in the bubble, like you're pretty good. Uh, you you have, you're pretty confident that as long as all the protocols are followed, you're gonna not really have an outbreak while you're there. So, I mean, I think they did a good job. Like, I, I really, as much as I hate a lot of the stuff that, that's going on with the NCAA, like we just talked about, and as much as I'm annoyed by, um, you know, some of the things that the players have to go through, and it kind of sucks. In the end, man. I'm just glad we're having a tournament, right? Like, it's it's going to be great as, a, as opposed to last year when we had to sit here and not have anything going on at this time of year. We get this tournament, and it's going to, I think, complete because everything is in place and everybody's following it properly. So uh, that's a good thing. Drake and Wichita, both 11 seeds, are now starting as they're playing their way into the tournament, uh, opening three-pointer by Drake. So they're up 3 nothing. Come on down. Watch the games here at Silver 7s. Flamingo and Paradise. Happy hour started at 3 o'clock, and uh, when the games are on here up until 6, you can get margarita, shots, beers for just 277 That's a hell of a special. I've seen a lot of uh, $30 and $40 bucket specials and $12 beers all over the place, but this is a great joint at Silver 7, so come on down here and watch the uh, NCAA tournament action. All right, we got two draft spots today. We're all about the NFL on this show, even when there's other big stories breaking. So uh, I want to get into what's going on with the Raiders at the receiver position, and we'll uh, we'll break down the receivers in the National Football League draft with one of the experts from Pro Football Focus, Austin Gale. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Raiders starting to uh, collect some offensive players after signing so many players on defense. So a couple of days ago, John Brown was signed. I still feel, Adam, that uh, they need more help at wide receiver, and I know it's not easy to draft You know, three of them. Well, they dealt one in Bowden. Uh, draft so many last year and then come back the next year in the draft and, and do it again. But the Raiders, I think, may 
and should look at some receivers in the middle rounds. Austin Gale has been helping us break down the NFL draft position by position. He's from Pro Football Focus. Austin, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm good. Do you like the signing of John Brown? Oh, absolutely. I mean, getting him on a $3.5 million deal worth up to $5 million is an absolute steal for a Las Vegas Raiders team that's obviously looking to replace Nelson Aguilar's production. And while Nelson Aguilar you know, had a career year, I think over 900 receiving yards, and signed a pretty good deal for his sake with the New England Patriots, I think it was two years, $11 million average per year. I think John Brown, if healthy, can do a lot of what Nelson Aguilar was asked to do. I think that was a fantastic signing and a huge value. So am I off base saying the Raiders should draft another receiver somewhere in the middle rounds? Not off base at all. I think you can always add it to position. I think Henry Ruggs obviously needs to take a step forward in year two. You like what Hunter Renfro brings from you the slot, but he's not that difference maker, that playmaking guy on the outside. And I think John Brown can do what Nelson Aguilar did. I still think they're missing a dominant wide receiver too. You know, a guy that can be a bigger possession type, a move the chains type. I know third in Renfro is very hmm. common in, uh, in Las Vegas, but I think you could get by with a bigger type. And I think Darren Waller is going to be that number one charger for Derek Carr and company, but adding at the receiver position would be something they should look to do. I know they've been rumored to maybe still going after Juju Smith-Schuster, the former Pittsburgh Steelers receiver. And I think on day two, day three, trying to get a bigger body in the receiving room to go with Brian Edwards or at least compete with Brian Edwards makes sense to me. Well, how much do you think they'll also use Kenyon Drake in the passing game? I mean, I hope a lot. I mean, they're paying him to do so, signing him to a two-year deal, I think $11 million guaranteed, worth up to $14.5 million. That is good for 15th highest paid running back in the NFL. 15th to back up, obviously, a former first-round pick in Josh Jacobs. And they made the decision to bring back Theo Riddick, along with Jalen Richard. I think one of those guys is obviously released prior to the season starting. But still, Kenyon Drake's paid a lot of money to receive, you know, catch in the backfield and all those things. I think he's going to be used quite a bit. Yeah, we should point out Riddick. I think Riddick's guarantee is like $50,000, so uh, not necessarily tied to him uh, with the contract. But you're right, they bring him back as well, along with Kenyon Drake. Well, let's get into the draft. Uh, I think my, my most important question in terms of receivers is we understand who the top three are. Uh, there's pretty general consensus about that. Who is the fourth best? I think mine would be Rashad Bateman. Uh, am I wrong? No, I, mine is Rashad Bateman as well. I think Rashad Bateman is the fourth best wide receiver in this class. And I know we group the big three a lot, you know, with Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. But Bateman is closer to that tier, that tier one of those three guys, than he is to the third tier. I think he's in a tier by himself at the number four spot. After Bateman, you could look at Paris Marshall Jr. of LSU, Elijah Moore of Ole Miss, who's more of a slot type, but has the jitters to actually be a productive outside receiver if you ask him to do so. It's another good receiving class. And you've seen the reports that this wide receiver market, specifically in Frenzy, has been soft. Kenny Galladay maybe not getting the numbers he expected. Will Fuller signing a largely a one-year prove-it deal in Miami. Corey Davis not even breaking the top 20 in average per year at the wide receiver position. These guys aren't getting paid, and it's because you can draft guys that are productive out of the gate. You saw that with Terry McLaurin in the third round, DK Metcalf in the second, A.J. Brown in the second. Justin Jefferson was the fourth receiver taken, and he broke Randy Moss's rookie receiving record. You can get talented, productive receivers in the draft, and I think that's why ultimately the free agent market wasn't as big as people thought. Uh, at the top is Jamar Chase, who I believe is absolutely the number one receiver in this draft. I know some people, some people may disagree, uh, but Jamar Chase to you is, is the clear-cut number one? Yep, absolutely. I think Jamar Chase is the number one wide receiver. That's not to say that Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle can't be more productive or at least similarly productive in the NFL. I just think Jamar Chase does the most for your football team, is the best receiver. I mean, what he was doing at 19 years old in the SEC 
playing for LSU was absolutely absurd. I mean, he went against legit NFL cornerbacks, C.J. Henderson, first-rounder, A.J. Terrell, second-rounder, Trayvon Diggs, second-rounder, and dominated every single guy he went against. And that is rare for a 19-year-old receiver in the SEC, a bully, a possession type, also an underrated yak guy. He draws comparisons to Brandon Marshall, Dez Bryant, I mean, Michael Thomas. Like, he's one of those guys that's just an alpha, a chain mover through and through, and a guy that shows up big in the red zone. Also, super humble dude. I think he's a very good kid between the ears, and I think that's going to ultimately have him being picked the number one receiver off the board. How much will teams, I guess we're going to find out with a lot of guys, but how much will the opt-out weigh in on how teams feel about him? I don't think a ton, because I think Jamar Chase is one of the few opt-outs where you felt he had proved all that he needed to. I mean, he was 19 years old and I think had, what, over 1,400 receiving yards with Joe Burrow and that LSU team, and he did it with Justin Jefferson on his football team. Outperformed Justin Jefferson, who obviously, like I said, broke the rookie receiving yards record this past year. Joe Burrow, his top target wasn't Justin Jefferson. It was Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase dominated on the outside in a Joe Brady offense where they prioritized the slot receiver position. They prioritized it with Justin Jefferson, and still Jamar Chase outperformed them. I don't think people will view his opt-out as poorly as they do some other guys in this class. Uh, Devonta Smith looks so skinny. It's, it's amazing how skinny he looks. Like, Is that going to matter? So I've talked to a lot of evaluators. I've also talked to some cornerbacks that have gone against Devontae Smith, and they don't feel like that matters. I do think from a data perspective, the number of receivers that are six foot one, 180 pounds, that have had success in the NFL, you could probably count on one hand. And they're all older guys. Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, or not Marvin Harrison Jr., Marvin Harrison Sr., Isaac Bruce, guys from you know the early 2000s where full out, the defenses were slower, cornerbacks were smaller, they didn't play man press as much. Like, it was a different era when those receivers had success, but you can't knock what Devontae Smith did. Where is size or lack thereof going to show up in your receiving profile against press? He has the highest yards per out run against press of any receiver in college football over the past two years. It's also going to show up in contested catch situations. He has the highest contested catch rate of any receiver in this class. Like, it doesn't show up. That's the thing. When you see size, it's a red flag. But if you can prove that you can overcome it with your route running ability and in those situations where you expect a skinny frame to show up, and he's not done that. So I do think Devontae Smith, not the number one receiver in this class, but still well worth a top 10 pick, top 12 pick. Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus, joining us here, breaking down uh, some of the draft. I'll get into a couple guys uh, that may not be first-round guys that – uh, we may have some interest in, potentially, with the Raiders or other places. Uh, how good of a prospect do you think Kadarius Tony from Florida is? I think he's a very good prospect. I think early in the process, I felt he was a first-round caliber talent, but I feel like the more you look at his game, you're going to have to scheme him targets. He's still not a very polished route runner. He obviously could get better with uh, you know NFL coaching and, and more experience at the position, but he's one of those guys you have to scheme open in some ways. You also have to scheme him targets. He's largely a gadget receiver at Florida that – makes a ton of plays after the catch. He's a perfect for receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. They don't ask Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk to get open consistently against single coverage. They just find their way to make those guys open with steam and with pre-snap motion and those things. You get Kadarius Tony in a San Francisco-like offense that needs a gadget player, he could have legitimate first-round caliber production. But it's going to depend on the offense. It's going to depend on if a team wants to bring in a Kadarius Tony, make him the focal point of an offense, know they have to scheme him targets, and I think that's why he ultimately falls to day two. Is there maybe a uh, you know fourth, fifth round guy that uh, you know we're talking Raiders here, but that a team might be getting a steal on that falls down in that far in the draft? Hmm, I, I do think Jalen Darden of North Texas, a very fast receiver, played quarterback in high school and was absolutely dominant. Made the transition to wide receiver and had a ton of success. A fast guy. I think he is 
the Darnell Mooney of this class, the former two-lane wide receiver that had success with the Chicago Bears as a rookie. I think Darden is a value. Amari Rodgers of Clemson is an underrated yak receiver in this class. He'd come in and play in the slot very early in his career. Only reason you know he didn't have success really early at Clemson is because he started behind Hunter Renfro. That's how old, oh, how long he's been there at Clemson. So I do think Amari Rodgers, Jalen Darden, it's, again, another deep receiving class. The way college football offenses are working now with four and five wide receivers on the football field so often, you're going to start to see more of these guys develop, more of these guys kind of hit the limelight. And, again, it's going to be deep class after deep class. Austin, we appreciate it. Thank you. Make sure uh, folks around Vegas go up to pff.com. Uh, you know, as I say every week, there's uh, almost every uh, – almost always a uh, discount package that's available. So you want to sign up for PFF and – uh, right now, you can use free agency 30, and you get 30% off any PFF subscription, PFF subscription. Austin, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. There he is, Austin Gale. Yeah, the receiver position is pretty deep. I was looking oh, yes. like 35 spots down on one list, <laughs> and uh, I noticed that the uh, gigantic kid at uh, Colorado State. Why am I missing his name now? Oh, uh, Warren Stewart. Warren Stewart. I always wonder when a, when a guy's six five, six six, like he is, and I the the image of Warren Stewart battling uh, Javen White a couple of years ago, yeah, because the Rebels just were not able to cover. I mean, last year they had trouble too. At least they've got some promising young guys, but the Rebels were not able to cover elite receivers, and they're like, all right, well, our linebacker Javen White is six three, <laughs> six four, so you go cover Warren Stewart. And that's how you become an NFL player, being able to do things like that, like Javon White did. I was wondering at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, how many teams look at guys and are like, eh, maybe we need to move you to tight end, except this guy's real thin. He's only like 210 pounds. Well, tight ends are obviously like a weird hybrid position now anyway. Well, if you get a guy up to like 230 pounds, right? Yeah. And play him as a second tight end, in a, you know, on passing downs. Yeah. But you agree with Austin, right? The the receiver position this year is freaking loaded. and But a lot of the value is after those top three. Yeah, and, and there's a pretty general consensus on the top three, obviously with Waddle and Smith from Alabama and Jamar Chase from LSU being at the top. But then it's who's that fourth guy? And uh, Austin and I both agree that it's Rashad Bateman, but there's about five or six candidates that could be that fourth guy. Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's with Cofield and Company. Adam, the list that you guys uh, had in the paper, the initial list of candidates for the UNLV opening. By the way, TJ Altsberger, it's official. He's off to Iowa State. Both schools confirmed it, so they get all the details done, or at least enough to make them feel comfortable that... Uh, you know, the buyout, probably taken care of, the contract taken care of on that end. So the job's open for UNLV. Uh, you guys had in the paper can five candidates, Rick Pitino, Steve Lavin, Conzo Martin, Kevin Kruger, Porter Moser. Uh, I wanted to lean on one of our buddies in Chicago who's around, loyal of Chicago. He's actually the voice of DePaul basketball. And I think in some ways UNLV and DePaul have some similarities. We're talking about massive college basketball brands from 30 and 40 years ago, probably about the same budget. DePaul just built a downtown arena, beautiful new arena. They just haven't gotten it right. They haven't gotten it right, and there's a thirst to win at basketball. They don't have football. That's a basketball school. So I caught up with Zach Zabin earlier in the day, again, the voice of the Blue Demons, and we started off the conversation talking about, hey, they got rid of their coach, Dave Lato, in a COVID year, and they had a really tough time dealing with COVID. It's been a really unusual and challenging year 
not just for DePaul, but I, I think across the landscape of college basketball. And there were certain teams that were able to handle it better than others. But everyone, for the most part, was impacted to a different degree by all the COVID protocols. And DePaul in particular, I think, was uh, hit hard because their season got started nearly a month later than everybody else because they had to shut down basketball activities three different times before they were able to begin playing. And you're constantly playing catch-up once that happens. When their season actually got started, then they had several opponents who had to deal with the Pirates, so that canceled or postponed games. And I think what people don't understand is when you're going through a pause of basketball activities, it's exactly that. You're not able to practice. And when you're trying to mesh a group of basketball players together and you don't have a team with a lot of continuity, you run into the problems that DePaul ran into this season where the Blue Demons finished 5-14. and 14. And it's, it's just an amazing turnaround, you know, from the team that started last season 12-1 and one in non-conference play, Steve, with huge victories over the likes of Iowa and Texas Tech. And then from that point forward, counting conference play last season and everything that transpired during this COVID-related season, the Blue Demons are 9-29. and 29. They hired a new athletic director in late August, and I think when you combine that with the issues that DePaul had on the court, I think the decision was kind of made for the new AD, Dwayne Peavy. Zach Zaidman, media star in Chicago, is the voice of uh, DePaul basketball. He's on the Cubs call. Uh, and if people in Vegas are wondering, like, why why is he talking to this jabroni, Zach, uh, you know, about DePaul basketball, DePaul shares a lot of the, the same hopes and wishes and struggles that UNLV has. And I'm seeing some of the names, same names on on both of the lists. I'll ask a question of you that everyone asked me from outside the market. Is DePaul a good job? And does DePaul have the resources to pay a coach a million and a half, two million, two and a half million? I don't know in terms of, of the resources to pay the coach. I know that there is a huge commitment to upgrading the athletic department overall at DePaul University. And it starts with the basketball program. DePaul is a basketball school. There is no football team with the Blue Demons. So it's all about men's basketball and everything kind of flows down from that. A few years ago, they built a new arena in downtown Chicago. It's as good as any arena as there is in the Big East, which should make the job appealing. The next thing that I think is important is upgrading the practice facility on campus. And the new athletic director, Dwayne Peavy, came over from Kentucky. Now, you don't leave the University of Kentucky to come to DePaul unless you've gotten assurances that there is a true commitment to upgrading the basketball program overall. The new president at DePaul came over from Seton Hall a few years ago, and the Pirates have established themselves as one of the better basketball teams in the Big East Conference. So I think there's an understanding of the kind of infrastructure that it takes to have basketball success. And I think that's the sell at DePaul from the new AD. Hey, I didn't come from Kentucky. I didn't come from the SEC and one of the most successful programs in college basketball to take over what's been a a program in darkness over uh, the last decade plus, unless I thought that there was a a major opportunity to upgrade things. So I I think that's the sell. And 
because of that, I believe that there will be the necessary resources to compete with the best teams in the Big East. That's Zach Zaidman with us. So one of the shared names on the candidate list with both uh, UNLV and DePaul is Porter Moser. He's a local. He's Air Loyola Chicago. So you have good perspective on him. Tell Vegas about Porter Moser and what do you think of him jumping up to that next level? He had Loyola in the Final Four a few years ago and has him back in the NCAA tournament this year. That's it. I mean, there's nothing more that you need to say. Loyola Chicago, a school that probably a lot of people never heard of before they made the Final Four a few years ago. Now, Porter Moser is a Rick Majerus disciple. And when you watch Loyola play from a, a tactical standpoint, they're as good as there is. And there's a lot of talent there. And they've had a lot of recruiting advantages operating in the Missouri Valley because Chicago is a destination when you consider the other schools in the Missouri Valley. And the other thing that you look at is they have an on-campus arena that's uh, very nice compared to the other schools in the conference. But Moser was given the opportunity to work through some really challenging years at Loyola. And I don't know that a lot of coaches get that. You know, it, it took a number of years for him to get Loyola to the level where you see the Ramblers now. A few years ago, he had an opportunity to really cash in from a financial standpoint. St. John's made him an offer. And St. John's wanted him, and the AD at St. John's came over from Duke. It's a very similar situation to Dwayne Peavy at DePaul coming over from Kentucky. And the offer was lucrative, yet he decided to stay at home. He's a Chicago-area guy, and I think that's something that needs to be considered. And once you get Loyola to the position that the Ramblers are in, and you're in your 50s, do you want to leave that situation for something that is uncertain? I'm sure there's certain jobs out there that would be able to, to take Porter Moser out of what he's got going at Loyola. I'm not necessarily sure that UNLV is yeah. that type of situation. Now, I also get the feeling that he he his next jump is to a true power five with the money, with the backing. So I don't know if he's – I'm not going to say it's a lateral move, uh, to go to DePaul or UNLV because I think it is a, a slight jump up, but it's not that big a jump up. Uh, other guys who are on these lists, and I, I, I think you know what's going on here, but Conzo uh, Martin's on the list at UNLV, and then uh, Frank Martin has constantly been in the conversation at UNLV the last like three hires now, um, and I see him on the list at DePaul. What, what do you think's going on with these two guys? I, I think that the way college basketball works is agents try to get – their coaches out into the marketplace. And remember last year, because of the pandemic and the cancellation of college basketball early, did not see a lot of changes around the college basketball coaching landscape. So I think you're doubling it now. And that's why this week you've seen so many openings out there. And I think you always have to be as a coach one step ahead because it is so hard to put together a program that is consistently good because of all the different things that are at play, that you're always looking for that next deal that gives you financial and occupational security. And that's why I think there are a lot of names linked to certain job openings, but that doesn't mean that those schools are looking at those names in particular. So the vibe from Zach Zaidman, who, uh, Works for the score in Chicago, calls the Cubs games, is on to Paul basketball. The other, you know, bigger program, parochial program in town, 
Loyola Chicago may be able to hold on to Porter Moser. What do you think? That he doesn't have to jump? And he has been offered big jobs, bigger jobs in the past, like St. John's. What do you think? Do you agree with me that like he, he doesn't need to make the mini jump right. to a DePaul or UNLV? He, like Power fives are going to come for him. If he wants to go, he's going to get a job at that level. Well, it's, it's what you were mentioning with T. Johnsonberger earlier of, hey, at some point there's jobs that he wants, and at some point he'll probably get them and could be in the mix for him, but why take the intermediate step? You said, why did he do that? I think the reason he did that was because he knew the job that he wanted and he was going to get it eventually, but there was a coach there at the time that had just won 23 games and – uh, you know, there's no, you know, there's no assurance that it was going to happen anytime soon. Porter Moser's case maybe has a list of four, four or five, and he's just waiting for those to open. But why take that next step? Also, what, like, you've already got something built. Like, this is something that goes on often at this level, of like you've got something built. It's pretty easy to continue to build it instead of trying to start over completely, and maybe you don't get it done, and all of a sudden your stock goes way down. And if you're Porter Moser, if you drop to 15 wins and fifth in the conference. You're not getting fired, right? Right, yeah. Like, you've, you've got equity. You go somewhere else, it is a clean slate, and within two years, if you're not winning at a high level, people are like, who's this guy? Yeah. Never yeah. done anything here. Yeah, it's nice to have that that to fall back on. Like, oh, you got two straight losing seasons? Yeah, remember that Final Four? Remember that thing? How many phone calls are you getting? This pro- I'm sorry, this process becomes nauseating, and we kind of made, made it a joke, and I'll reference the phone calls here in a second. We kind of made it a joke yesterday putting out my list of, at that time, 58 names that have been mentioned. I think I can get to 75 today because I'm seeing more names for the UNLV job. Sure. Like they're not, it's not my list. It's coaches that have been mentioned by, potential UNLV coaches that have been mentioned by fans and then other coaches. And, and are you guys just getting bombarded with phone calls? Like, hey, you know what? Get our guy in the mix. I mean, you saw that I had to start charging my phone. <laughs> it sounds so stupid. Like, who is Adam Hill? But I, but I, this is part of the game of the coaching world. And by the way, that's that's the reason I mentioned both Frank Martin and Conzo Martin, right? Frank and Conzo, um, that they're they're on like four or five different lists that have openings. Well, they have advocates that call around, and that's and, the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. Like we again, so weird. We've referenced it many times, but think back to the last coaching search at UNLV and all the all the silly rumors and things that were out there and it, it seemed like a lot of people kept jumping on the same names that's because people keep getting phone calls trying to pitch people's names and saying hey this is the guy he's in the mix this is what's going on and like you have to sift through and say what's real and what's not and who's doing this for what reason and what coach is doing it just because he wants a, a an extension at his job and who wants a raise at their job and who's trying to get leverage for this other position so there's just all these phone calls are being made and yes to the media to start hyping them up on you know different radio shows and in the newspaper and on blogs and that sort of thing so this these coaching searches are complete chaos and it's so weird to be involved in them visit cofield's corner on lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews